Right, welcome to another episode of Northwest Five Podcast. Um, I'm opening the show today, Zach Giorgio, and I've got my co-host with me, who's John Cleary. Say hi, John. Hello. And today we've got a very special edition with Joe Britton, who is the founder of Pace Development. Hi, Joe. Hello, Zach. Hello, John. Hello. Cool. So it's uh, quite an interesting one for me because me and Joe have known each other for a number of years back in the day when she was at the EEF, which is now Make UK. And we've spent loads of time together, events and speak to each other regularly. So I'm going to go straight to you, Joe, and ask you, tell us a little bit about pace development. Tell us what pace development is, what it does and what you're about. Well, do you know, as a fairly new, I say fairly new, it's probably, it's coming up to four years now. Um, is that still classed as a startup, a four-year business? Um, I don't know. No, John's like saying no on screen. I still class myself as a fairly startup business. So PACE development came out of a number of reasons, really. And PACE stands for personal and corporate effectiveness. Um, and I'm also somebody that likes to work at speed. So it just felt quite right to have that as a name. But essentially, my journey's been quite mad, to be fair, over the last like three or four years. Um, it started out having worked in a number of fairly male-dominated industry sectors, so engineering, manufacturing, technology-based businesses. Being a woman, often, and, and at a fairly senior position, I was often one of the very few women in the room and for me as well, I found it quite a challenge, you know, quite a challenge to sometimes have confidence in myself or to believe in myself. And for me, it kind of manifested in a lot of things, really. Um, a typical burnout story from working like in a corporate world, I felt the need to excessively work myself into the ground. And so a few things collided at a point and I just decided, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I'd kind of managed a lot of, you know, so my I've got a marketing background. Before that, I started in sales. I've worked in kind of education. And I'd kind of done a, I'd certified as a performance coach during that journey. And I discovered the work that I was doing was a lot of digital transformation work. So at the time, it was rebranding, building brands, but also taking an organization on a big digital transformation. So you'll be familiar with this in like, like with, tech industry and all of that kind of thing and actually the huge bit that's always missing with this kind of stuff is the emphasis on people and change these are like the two things that to drive something and to get results it's always about people and I discovered I was pretty good with people and I used quite a coaching approach so um, when I decided I decided to leave that corporate world and set up a business that was going to help women to accelerate their careers and in male-dominated industry sectors also focus a lot on change transformation and actually why we find it really difficult as human beings to adapt and cope with that as well but to do it at pace and to do it quickly because that kind of reflects me and so I've been on quite a journey with that and people will say to me what is it that you do then and I find that really difficult to, to answer so there's kind of a, a couple of strands what I do um I'm really, having sort of investigated and done a lot of work and research in this area, I'm really into the neuroscience and application of neuroscience to business and to leadership to help you manage um, and cope with change and use brain-based approaches to get better results. That was a really long-winded story, wasn't it? 
did I answer the question? Interesting, though, and I'm sure we'll be picking up on the neuroscience and the brain part to, to what you've been doing. And, and also, it's quite interesting, your journey that you mentioned about working within a large business and then setting your own up, which I, I'd like to explore a little bit more as well. So that's a little bit about, about pace, and we will find out more on some of those particular points. So what was it that you used to do? And I mentioned at the start, you used to work for the EF Now Mate UK. So you did the marketing stuff, but had you always been in those industries? And, and what was it that you did specifically there? I suppose a little bit more about you and the journey that you've been on. Well, if I go way back, um, here's the thing that probably got, that I never thought would happen that got me to where I've got to. And if I go way back, I actually started in cold calling telesales, way, way back. And I hated it, (laughs) but I was quite good at it. And um, whenever I went anywhere for a job after that, that was the thing that was on my CV that companies were interested in. If you can do that, they would say, you must be quite a resilient person because you know what it's like. And back in those days, it was cold calling in phone direct, you know, using a phone directly. I worked for like um, double glazing companies and, you know, it was that that kind of thing. And you had to get like three confirmed appointments, you know, or they wouldn't. In those days, they don't think it was employment law like it is now. They wouldn't let you off your shift if you didn't have, they'd let you in the room if you didn't have your three confirmed appointments. So from there, that almost informed like my career going forward. I was pretty good with people and, and kind of sales. Um, and I ended up in um, working really in a startup organization that was around manufacturing. So, um, and it was educating manufacturers who had probably not had more of a, a formal education background, but were in um, management and leadership positions. And there was no business there at the start. It was like a concept. And so what they said to me was go out on the road and cold call mds of manufacturers you know like as in drop in there and i was like i know nothing about manufacturing they're going you're all right you can do sales and i was like can i and so that kind of started and as that grew i found out i was quite good at that as well we needed more of a marketing approach to it too and so i ended up kind of a dual sales marketing role um, in a manufacturing educational kind of establishment and we and we kind of grew that and then i got um, you'd probably call it poach now, it wasn't poached. I ended up at um, EEF then, um, running a learning and development consultancy kind of unit that was doing similar sorts of things. Um, and I was never somebody that wanted to do the same thing all the time. So I'm quite an ambitious person, I quite like change. And from there, I ended up leading um, some of their regional offices, business development teams, and it just kind of grew till eventually. Um, at Make UK as it is now, um, I headed up and was marketing director of like the kind of the national the national organisation. So I guess some of the things that um, for me, having the ability to work with people and understand people, whatever business you're in, is like really important. And understanding what makes people tick is really really important. And those things I think served me really well in terms of I'd always had an ambition actually since I was about 15 to have my own business but I never really believed I could do it so you know when you're a teenager you might have you might 
look up to a footballer or a pop star or whatever and have those posters on like your bedroom wall well, I, I, I never did it was always I had an ambition to have a business but I always thought from the background that I came from um who would I be to do that and so I never did it so I worked very hard for all these other organizations I'm quite creative and entrepreneurial I think but for other organizations I did it um so having got to where I got to in my career, I had all these skills, actually, that I thought, you know what, maybe now it's time to do it for yourself. And that was kind of my journey. That's brilliant. I want to I want to pick up something um, that you said a bit earlier, which was you're a woman in a predominantly male dominated industry um, and you're now helping women as well in those industries. Something I've heard sort of bandied around is that women uh, often feel they need to be twice as good doing the same job. Is that something that you can relate with? Absolutely. And that, that contributed, I think, to my me burning myself out because um, often what I would do is feel the need to have to prove myself. So I'd work harder and harder. If I went to meetings, I felt like I had to be super prepared, planned to like, you know, the eighth degree. And so I really relate to that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's kind of this uh, vicious circle in a way because, you know, women need to have other women to look to. And then they're looking at women who are doing twice as much to 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 try to feel that, you know, they're at a par with, with their male counterparts, which is completely unfair and kind of breaks my heart to hear and, and to see. But yet then some of the role models they have are other women who are doing it. And so it's, it's just like, is there anything that we should be doing to address that, particularly men in this industry? I mean, I think I think there are a couple of things, really. You're absolutely right. I found it really difficult to find a role model. And so, therefore, for me, I felt like in order to survive, my role, I guess, role models actually weren't, weren't me. So I was trying to copy and role model behaviour that wasn't me, that didn't feel very good. Um, from a what should we be doing, I think allyship's really important. You know, male allyship's really important. Um, but the problem is, it's really difficult for men to be allies sometimes in workplaces because some of the culture in our workplaces doesn't really support them. So there's been a number of times where I've worked with men who want to ally women more, but they get criticised both by men and women. And so it's a really difficult barrier to break, I think. And so... For me, it starts actually within you. And had I had some tools to help me believe in myself and have confidence in myself to be myself, I think things would have been a lot different. And so that's why I do the work that I do now, whether that's working with men or women, to help you really find your inner confidence and, and self-belief. And but then there's a question I have, I suppose, about businesses, because if you're saying the culture isn't there and that men are being criticized and women are being, you know, by men and women and, and so on, then the culture of the business is is out of kilter and there's something needs to happen there. So are you speaking to business owners or men or women and saying this is something that you need to add to your, you know, like a, some something that you need to embrace? Yeah, I mean, I think I think culture is a really interesting um, topic because often people will talk about culture, um, but what does it mean? And so for me, it starts with what's the culture 
that you want to build in the organization and when you ask that question I work with a lot of businesses around this and they kind of look at me like oh we've not really thought about we don't really know what that is so if you're looking to and there's so much evidence where there's a lot of lip service paid at the moment to diversity equality inclusion uh, but it's scratching the surface at stuff if you really want to do that because there's a load of evidence that says diverse organizations are much more profitable and are productive and happier places um, to work then you have to really dig deep into what that is and that also means providing support to men and women so i'm i will talk quite a lot on my um, social media about equality and equity because it's really important to me but often the the posts that will go viral will be where men may feel attacked by what i'm saying and i'm not saying that this is about bashing men it's about us supporting one another and understanding one another brilliant yeah Zach, you wanted to come in yeah well I want to try and learn a bit, a little bit more about, obviously, the journey from when you started off the business. So it's always an interesting one, having started my own business. You sort of either have a really, really clear strategy from day one or your strategy develops as you sort of move through. And I know yours was more like the strategy developed that it moved through. But I also know quite a bit about this area of, of neurosculpting that you got into. And I think not a lot of people will know what neurosculpting is or what that means. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because it's it's quite fascinating for people that have probably never heard of it. Mm. And that's been part of my business journey. You're absolutely right, Zach. So I remember as well. So one of the things I think when you set up a business is Actually, one of the things that I really wish I'd have done more of before I set up my business was build my network and, and the network of mentors as well. I think that's like really important. And I, I sat there kind of day one, like with ideas about what I wanted to do. It'd be like some kind of, you know, it's helping women with like progress their career. And then I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And you were one of the very first people I think I reached out to in my network because you'd already done it you'd like set up your business and I think that's like super important and I remember actually coming to your offices at the time and thinking you were a real role model to me actually you were somebody that you know I really look and I still do look up to flipping echo there you are in your offices and you would like smashing it you know and I thought I need where in my life like to do that when your sculpting came from was it, it's been part of my business journey because um you're right, I wasn't super clear to start with on what I wanted my business to be. It was certain things that I was trying to do. Um, and the first year I had an amazing year, in, you know, amazing year in business. And for somebody, for, for a woman like me that doubted herself, could I do this? It was like, oh my gosh, I actually think I can do this. I had a really great year. And then the pandemic hit and I literally lost everything. And I spiraled into this huge anxiety and I couldn't you know I couldn't function really and I couldn't eat and then I was thinking well who do you think you are to run a business so you couldn't do it and I was looking at people still like you and I know you have like those challenges you were going through at the time and I'm thinking but these people are still doing this and you're a coach you should use some coach tools why why are you struggling so much and I tried to get in the doctors at the time it was right at the beginning of covid because I'd have an on and off, I'll be really honest, an on and off relationship with anxiety medication over the years, right? So I thought, I'll go to the doctors, I'll just get some pills, then I'll be all right. But I couldn't get in because you couldn't get in at the time, right? So I thought, what am I going to do? And so I started to reflect and think, 
there's no coincidence. This is a pattern for me. It's a pattern where I don't feel confident. I don't believe in myself. It, it's created anxiety and overwhelm and I need to look within me. And so I started researching neuroscience as a way and I started to understand how our brain and body are both ones, you know, two sides of the same coin, really. What we think affects the way we feel in the body and how our body is responding to that affects the way we think. So I started to do some um, research on how our brains and bodies are working with these patterns that we have that we use to navigate the world. And that led me to a practice called neurosculpting, which is this amazing way of harnessing plasticity in your brain to help you either disrupt unhelpful patterns. So an unhelpful pattern for me was thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not confident. Um, it became an anxiety and fear pattern that I rehearsed so much, it became default to the way that I navigated the world. And so whatever happened in my life, that was easy for my brain to access. So of course it got worse and worse and worse. But neurosculpting can help you use the same science that scripts that pattern to unscript it. And it's a five step process that uses all your brain to do it. And so I started to, so I trained in it and it's a practice that's, um, it was in America, um, but there's nobody in the UK that's certified to do it. So I'm the first one that is certified and brought it to the UK, which I'm really, really proud about. And it's really helping people. And it helped me so much so quickly that when I combined it with my coach tools and this way of rewiring your brain really in your nervous system, the results were massive really quickly. I innovated my business, I set up new stuff. I started getting customers and clients. It's like growing and growing really quickly. And so I started helping other people with it and they were getting amazing results as well. So that's kind of been my, my journey into it. The challenge I have in the UK is it's like, nobody's heard of it. So I'm almost like, you know, if you're an innovator and you burst into the market with something, that comes with its challenges as well in terms of education and awareness for people and then application of it. That's great. Uh, sorry, Zach, you got your hand up, you go. No, you go, you, you, go, okay. you go. I was so, gonna say it's great as well. Yeah, I've got other questions. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You've got this like challenge of education as well. Uh, sorry, educating the market or the people as well as obviously the education of, of the of what you teach um, and the coaching. How different is it from sort of materials like cognitive behavioral therapy or books like Jim Paradox? Is it, in, is it in that kind of zone? Is it the same kind of thing? It's kind of space, but it's a trademark space. So it comes from, so it combines a number of things really. And it's based in um, how our nervous system is working and how we wire things based on how our brain works with its plasticity. So neuroplasticity, if you've come across the term at a basic level, it is science's word for the way that we learn things, right? And we learn patterns like when we're a baby, we don't have any patterns, right? So we learn when we're a baby, if we cry, we're going to get fed by mum, right? We learn how to walk. We learn, because if we didn't know how to do this, it'd be like Groundhog Day every day, wouldn't it? It's like, we've got to relearn that stuff. So neuroplasticity is this gift that gives us for learning and creating patterns, which are prediction scripts, if you like. So the brain's a prediction machine. In every single moment, all it's trying to do is meet a prediction. What do we need to do in this moment to take the next step? So that's kind of what we're doing. And our brain's really neuroplastic in a heightened state of fear. 
So it's the way we profoundly learn. So it's a little bit like when you're a kid, you get, don't touch the hot stove or you'll burn yourself. If you touch the hot stove, you are so profoundly neuroplastic in that moment that you learn never to do it again. Because, you know, but we will have created these prediction scripts and patterns of behavior um, based on events and experiences that have happened to us where we felt fearful as well. And those are the things like, like for anxiety, for instance, you know, that will be the recall pattern that we use and we respond to the world. So what neurosculpting does is it uses brain plasticity. So we create heightened states of neuroplasticity in the brain, but not through a heightened state of fear. The second way we are neuroplastic is through curiosity, novelty and humour. So what we do is we prime the brain by calming down what I call, um, so that, so midbrain is kind of, um, you know, it's, uh, um, you'll have heard of things like maybe like the amygdala and things in the brain, which are um, the home of emotions really, and things like that. And we calm that bit down. So when we are feeling really stressed, we're running in a, a stress state, which is pumping your chemicals around the body, like um, cortisol, adrenaline, yeah? And that's going, it's the fight, flight response that's going, you know, mobilize, get ready to go, you know. And then if we need to react to a situation, if our life is under threat, like there's a car hurting towards us, then that's great. It's a life-saving gift. But mostly every day, our life isn't under threat that way, but the brain perceives it in the same way. And that can be activated at a level of thought. So yes, what we're doing is calming the brain, creating states of neuroplasticity, which are more helpful ones. We tell the brain a story and we toggle between the hemispheres of the brain that process language and information differently to disrupt a pattern. And then we use somatic gestures for the body. So tapping the body and anchoring it and linguistic references. So it borrows a few things from other disciplines, but it's actually a very unique trademark process. Fascinating. It's, it's you know and what what's fascinating for me in, in in all of that is is really and thank you for your honesty and that is the journey that you went on to actually get you to actually going to look into something like this so actually what you've done is you've taken something that you've struggled with from what you stated there and brought it into the workplace to try and help others so not only you're helping others um <clears throat> but you're also doing that as part of your job so I, I think that's amazing john did you want to comment on that yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's really interesting and I'm interested in it, in how it works with coaching because there's two things we're talking about. There's two things to, to in my mind, certainly one thing that you think about in coaching is like the coaching side of like, these are things you can do to improve as a person or as in your role or what, what you're doing. But then you talked about anxiety, which you don't, you don't immediately associate with, um, you know, your work life. Well, you do associate with work life, but you don't associate, with, you know, but it's something that holding people back right like am i good enough to do this am i doing the right thing and so it sounds like there's a bit of push and pull with with this this technique that we need to take away some of the anxiety and and sort of reprogram the brain around that as well as giving some other other positive messages around what you can be doing so is that right is there like a bit of bit of both like you're trying to remove some anxiety but then replace with you know some other positive messaging yeah and you can use neurosculpting to do that as well so you can release and disrupt unhelpful unproductive yeah but you can also create new more productive ones as well so yeah from a coaching point of view um let me just like clear up this like different um people perceive coaching differently and for me there are some different definitions so 
it's different to mentoring. So mentoring tends to be somebody has some experience and wisdom and they'll share that. Here are some things to do, like advice. It's a bit more advisory. Coaching from a purest sense is more about helping somebody get from A to B quicker than they would have done if they've acted alone, but by not giving them the solution. So it's helping them to come up with the answers themselves by being skilled in being able to listen and probe and ask purposeful questions, right? And that's the, co- the, the, the role of the coach. So what happens is we've discovered through this process with people, a coaching process is they are usually, we usually put a limitation or barrier in front of ourselves. And so when you're a great coach, you spot that in people and you raise awareness in people. And what inevitably it comes down to are stories and patterns we're telling ourselves that may be true or not true. Stories and patterns like I'm not good enough or what if I do this and I fail or the world is a dangerous place. But things that the brain has believed for a long time because we've heard them and people can struggle to overcome that if they don't understand how they can change them and the application of neurosculpting with that helps them do it. So with some of my clients, we'll then get quite deep on what is it? Why aren't they meeting their sales goal, for instance? You know, we could go through a coaching process and what we might discover is they've still got a story that all salespeople are sleazy, even though they're a salesperson, which stops them from making a call it stops them from following up it's you know those sorts of things and what's at the root of that the root could be a fear of rejection and so they they procrastinate and they don't do something so what we really are then doing is saying right let's work on that pattern and story and disrupt it and let's create your you know I'm the most amazing salesperson story instead So we combine the coaching approach with a neurosculpting approach and suddenly you get a really quick shift and and acceleration in performance as a result. I want to take it somewhere slightly different if I can, because something I believe you also work on was personal branding. And, you know, I I think it it has, I don't know, mixed mixed the reviews, personal branding. I think that's fair to say. Some people think you absolutely have to do personal branding. It's all, you know, it's 21st century. And then some people go, that's that's not for me. Um, you know, okay, that's, who's right? <laughs> what the, is it important? Why is it important? I think the first thing to say is, again, I think there's a lot of confusion about what is personal branding and why does it matter? And for me, it's simplest term is whether you realise it, like it or not, you have a personal brand. It's who you are, what you represent, and how you're showing up to other people. And it's got really confused, I think, in the world of social media and digital, in that it's this kind of more, you know, almost like celebrity influencer thing that helps you generate business and, you know, and all of that. And yes, it does. For me, personal branding is really, really important. If you think about it from that point of view, fundamentally, it helps you lead a better life because when you're really clear, you think about brands, building brands, they're all the really great brands are all about, they understand their purpose. You know, they understand the purpose, what makes them tick in the world, and they kind of work towards that sense of purpose. Um, so a lot of people get really confused. So I do work with people on personal brand, and we always go right back to basics. What's the purpose of building it, right? So for some people, having a personal brand, it opens doors for you. So you know, whether you're still at university or at school or whatever, whatever that is that you want to do, build your personal brand because it's going to help you in your career. It can help you get promoted. It 
can help you build your network. It can help you win customers if you're using personal branding in a digital format online, you know. So it's incredibly important because you've got a personal brand anyway, so you may as well be in charge of it, you know, own it and be in charge of it and in control of it. Yeah, it's really important because if you, if you think about a brand brand that we think of, you walk into a shop and you look at, um, you know, a Nike T-shirt and you've never heard of Nike before and they have to educate you there on the spot versus I've seen him on the telly, et cetera, et cetera. No, you've had all those other points of contact. You're just preventing yourself from repeating yourself every time you go into a room or go to a, an event that you're saying, this is whoever, and this is, you know, they speak on this topic or they're passionate about this. And that's part of their brand and how they show up and what, what they value. It doesn't have to it sound like you're saying, and this is, you know, you don't need to have a web presence. or a web, So even a social media account have a personal brand. You're just saying, this is me. This is who I am. And I, I you know, and then you take it on board as your brand and you, you carry it around with you and you repeat the same messages so people get it. Yeah, exactly. And if you think from a business context as well, um, people maybe that have built a personal brand, it's helped them extend into other markets and industry sectors quite easily because it's the shortcut to knowing that person. And therefore, they've already built up credibility, trust. It makes it easier for them to extend into a different industry sector or market. Excellent. Zach, what's your personal brand? What does it look like? What color is it? <laughs> I stumped him. You have? Yeah, I'm speechless yeah. there with that one. I'm just, um, I'm, yeah, gonna... I, I'm just, I mean, you know, everyone sees things differently. Some people, um, see what Joe's talking about. Other people see the fact that actually they want to not have a personal brand, but they want to have a business brand. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of people, you know, if you look at some of the key influencers, should we say, in the world, they will have a bit of both, won't they? So somebody like Elon Musk has got his own personal brand because he's all over Twitter, he's all over, you know, other platforms in that respect. However, his business interests, everyone knows that Elon Musk is the owner of Tesla and he's gone to, and all those other things. But actually, the business itself is still Tesla and that does what that does. So I suppose it's it's the two things, really, i.e. some will want to do both. Others will be all about personal branding and others will be all about branding for their company. Um, I probably sit more in the branding for the company camp, um, but that's just me. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't. But is that you sort of using the, the, you know, everyone's got limited time and resources. So you've got limited time and resources and the time and resource you spend uh, putting out a brand, for a better word, you use it on your business. So people will ask you about something you'll, you'd rather mention your business than yourself because you're promoting your business and that's what you want to do. It's not that you're not, it's not that you don't have a personal brand. It's just that you're, you're putting more energy into your business brand. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And 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 an argument to say that really you should do both. I think I think it probably depends on not not depends, but can be a little bit more on the type of business that you are. You now I can see it from Joe's perspective with what she does. You know, a lot of what Joe does is what Joe does because it's Joe. Joe is the brand. Do you know what I mean? It's a very, very big difference between myself and where our business has got to now and there's 25 people and stuff like that don't get me wrong I think there's probably elements that I could work on that personal aspect itself but in Joe's case I completely get why because you are 
the IP of your business. Oh, here we go. Right, let's get to it. So, yeah, I mean, I get you. I, I totally get you. And I think it is about choices. And often um, I work with um, business owners who are trying to grow a business like from scratch. And you don't have a lot of money to invest in marketing and collateral and, you know, build. And nobody knows your business brand either. So I think it also think about where technology really helps these days so there's a lot of people starting up businesses or they've got small businesses not a lot of marketing investment to make but they can use a social platform to do it and on a social platform most of them you know they're free you might get some of the paid paid um, upgrades or whatever but if you think about it people follow people so I, me as a as a person I don't I'm not probably going to follow your recruitment brands because unless I see some things that you know I think oh that's really really cool right and I think people forget this you tend to follow people and that's not to say you can't build both but I think if you want to kind of really I'm interested in you like you're interested in your journey as a business how are you growing it what are you doing every day what are your people doing every day you know and so think about both in the sense that you're still a small business but actually, you are the business and your people are the business as well. And that's what I'm interested in following. So your personal brand is really important too, to get out there, to help you grow your business. If you think about who do I follow? And I forgot, see, I've forgotten his name now because I'm on the spot. Gymshark as a brand. It's a brilliant brand that's grown really quickly. But I follow the CEO, not the Gymshark brand all the time because he's really cool. He's really cool on what he's managed to achieve from his garage into building the Gymshark brand. I think he's amazing. So I still, and I think a lot of, you know, him building the Gymshark brand has been about him building his personal brand. Yeah. And then our founder of Social Chain, right? Steve Barlow, he's an an incredible, incredible example. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, a business I heard about first and then you know you hear about Stephen and then obviously he's kind of all over everything now and you know but intensely interesting to listen to I mean just you know he's got lots of interesting points um yeah but I suppose the, I suppose what what people don't like about personal branding is like the murkier side of it where it's a managed personal individual social account and you know and I suppose it really needs to separate the two that's a different type of thing that's almost like a corporate personal brand if you like where they're you know they're paying someone to to do their twitter and so on for them to promote them for whatever reason right Um, i think that's a reason why a lot of people don't actually drive that personal branding anyway you know i think what ends up happening is just because it's not their forte and what generally happens is they they probably start off their business, might write a couple of blogs, me. Um, and then as your business grows and develops and stuff like that, then you do lots of other things. And it's probably not massively in your capability, like you're staying there. Other people are actually doing that type of stuff. So they don't sort of follow through. I mean, you know, ultimately, there's a place for everything. You know, yeah. whether or not there's a personal brand or whether it's your brand and your business. And, you know, I suppose it's just the way you see it. I think like I think personal branding always existed, but it wasn't always, you know, if you go back, it was the people who wrote books, probably that you saw back in the 90s or whatever, or, you know, musician, it's just become more and more accessible and it's digitized and it's free and it's everywhere. And everyone has at least, well, nearly everyone has some kind of digital presence. 
right? So you've you've got a LinkedIn account or a Facebook page or something, and that's part of who you are. Whether or not you then leverage that, or just you know leave a photo up there of some you know of a tractor instead of your face, then that's your choice. But you're still making a statement about what what you care about and don't care about. Um, so I think that's really good. And I think I think what people don't realise with the digital world is that they're leaving a footprint wherever they go if they're commenting on people's posts. And I see this a lot. I see this a lot on platforms. Like I hang around a lot on LinkedIn because it's where my my customers are, and I have opinions. Right? I have opinions, and I'm not usually that afraid to express them. Now it used to be different when I was a, in a corporate environment, and when you have opinions you have to be prepared to get opinions back and um you know i've had a couple of posts on linkedin that i posted about um that blew up because they i talk about things that really matter to me and that's part of my personal brand but with that comes the challenge of people who are going to disagree and they're going to leave comments and so i've had a couple of really viral posts where um i've been really trolled on them as well but the people making the comments are forgetting that that's their personal brand in action, that the world is seen and there's a digital footprint there. And they're usually in their, um, on their account are employed by another company, right? So they're employed by a company and they are leaving a comment somewhere else for the world to see that could bring that employer into hot water. So I think in a digital environment, we have to be really, really careful about that's why everybody does have a personal brand, whether they realize it or not, you need to be in control of it. Believe it or not, we are 40 minutes into this. So we are coming to the end. And what I would really like to ask you, Don might have some other stuff, but I'd really like to ask you is, what advice would you give to your, I won't use younger self, I'll, I'll say previous self. Previous self. It's a great question. I think there are a few things now, having learned what I've learned over the years. And the first one is for me not to worry about what other people think of you. That was a big one for me. I made decisions or didn't do things because I thought, people would think bad things of me or whatever. So I think that's the first thing. The second one would be to have belief in yourself. And that's a difficult one. Um, but if there are things you want to achieve and you align the belief that you can achieve it to that goal or outcome, it will happen. The third one would be to surround yourself with really great people, people that are going to challenge you in a productive and healthy way but are going to support you that are going to be positive influences not the like mood hooverers that bring you down I would say your network and who you surround yourself with is massively important and the fourth thing I would say is to find mentors in your life for different things different things those mentors I've had and you've been one whether you've realized it or not Zach to me you've been a mentor to me where I've looked up to you like around, you know, the experiences because you were steps ahead of me with like your business. So, and mentors don't have to be formal mentors. They can be older than you. They can be the same age as you. They can be younger than you. I also have a mentor who's like 22 years younger than me. 
right, is somebody that I would have never have thought of anything in common with, but is doing amazing things that inspire me. And so he's also a mentor as well. Love it. I, I, I love them. I thought all of those were absolutely amazing. Thank you for the kind words as well. But um, I, I love the, I, I loved all of them. I mean, you know, I think without wanting to pick any, I, I am going to say one, but um, I'm not necessarily picking any because I thought they were all absolutely exactly how I would think as well. But I think that self-belief one's quite an interesting one. I think you can go through your career a lot and possibly others can make you not believe what you actually are as well. I think you can fall into environments where you've got far more capability, but actually you can be held back. Uh, I'm not saying either or whether that happened to me, but what I am saying is, is that, you know, knowing what I'm now capable of, you know, all of the other things that you mentioned around yourself, other people mentoring and all those types of things. Actually, the belief was probably always there. It was probably suppressed by others. That first point that you made almost encroaches on the self-belief element as well, which almost holds you back. Yeah, look, I, I absolutely love them, Joe. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a waffling today, John. Is it is it is it waffle day? Not all day, just now, really. Okay, no. the, rest, <laughs> the rest is fine. No, it's good, mate. Absolutely good. And Joe, I just want, yeah, I like, I really like that first point about you know not really caring about what other people think. And I, I don't know if I mentioned on on here before or not, but I think the first time I became a manager, I had this belief that a manager looked and spoke and, and acted like such. Um, and it took me a while to realize that okay, you obviously have responsibilities as a manager but you're still yourself. You're still who you are and you, you can manage, you, you still be yourself and do those things. And you don't have to like fall into some kind of cookie cutter mold. Um, so yeah, that was really a powerful one for me. So I love that. Thank you, Joe. So that's to the end of the show. I'd like to thank our co-host today, John. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank um, you, Zach. Thank, thank you, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, come on the show today. Fascinating. Some really interesting stuff neuro sculpting is something that i think um we'll probably talk about again john i reckon now i think so um so thanks so much for for taking the time of us today so thanks joe thank you for having me if you want to get in touch with the show our usual places are uh, you'll find us on linkedin we have a page on there or you can contact me directly on linkedin we have a website northwestify.co.uk send us in your questions or if you want to be on the show or know someone who would be great at the show send that in Thank you very much.